Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Today, we examine a very important part and an emerging part of research and insight that is going to be so critically important to the people creating and distributing content that we really do do need to understand it much, much more. But before we come to that, as we do each week, we start with the definition of just exactly what it is that we are talking about that is the the centre of, of this particular program. Content communication is a strategic, measurable and accountable business process that relies on the creation, curation and distribution of useful, relevant and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. My guest today is Trish Lavery, the Assistant Director in the Design and Analytics area of the Innovation and Behavioural Insights team within the Federal Department of the Environment here in Canberra, Australia. Trish, her job is to design, implement and evaluate behavioural interventions that bring together insights from behavioural economics, psychology and social anthropology. Her role includes the analysis of website analytics and looking at the effectiveness of digital communications and also things such as A-B split testing of websites and looking at the various effectiveness of digital social media interactions by providing that analytical data so as that we can just understand how effective those digital media interactions are. Trish has a a stunning background uh, in academia with a, a PhD in marine biology and undergraduate degrees in science and behavioural science. Uh, she's authored 12 scientific public publications and has been cited in all sorts of different places. So I'm absolutely thrilled um, for Trish to join me here in the studio in transition. And thank you, Trish, for joining us in transition. Thank you very much for having me, David. It's a pleasure to be here. I don't think we've ever had anyone with quite the background that you have. I think you might be the most qualified person that we've ever spoken to. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. You, you love study? I do, I Are do. Are you curious? What, what is it? What, what's, what, yeah, it's just that drive to keep learning. I right. find I get restless very quickly and as long as I'm learning something new, I'm happy, whatever were you, were that may like be. you like that as a kid? Were you always like that? Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Always on school holidays, I'd be digging out books from the library and delving into some new area of whatever my new career was going to be that week. Now, in, interestingly, you, you behavioural science, but then into a PhD into marine biology. Tell, don't, tell me that story. Ah, that's right. It's a bit of an interesting transition. I must admit, I was always quite fascinated with um, the mind in the waters, the intelligent mammals that live in our oceans. And so my original foray into behavioural science was designed to examine uh, the social behaviour of our cetaceans, our whales and dolphins. Okay. Unfortunately, I found that I love the data analytics side of things and I really didn't want to spend 20 years on a boat trying to collect that data to begin with. <laughs> so I, after looking at that, I sort of moved more into mathematical modelling and using that as a way of understanding the interactions between marine mammals and their environment. Okay, and you made your way 
back to Canberra, back into the federal government, and you were in the marine science area, weren't you? That's correct, yes. And what was the role, what what were you doing there in Uh, in that role? This was a lot of, uh, what stimulated my interest in joining the department was the marine area that we have. We have a very active role in the International Whaling Commission, our overseas policy. Uh, So that was my initial area uh, of research, of of interest within the department. But now you've you've moved into the, you know, the analytics, design thinking, um, the behavioural insights innovation area of the Department of Environment. And this is a very popular and topical um, area of exploration, not only here in Australia, but obviously in the UK, in the United States, pretty much every government around the world is starting to really invest heavily in this area. That's right. I Mm. think there's finally a recognition of just how important this is and what a big influence it can have on service delivery and policy and program management. Okay, so let's Let's go right back to the to the basic elements of exactly what it is that, you know, someone, you know, the assistant director in the design and analytics area of, you know, the innovation and behavioural insights team with, within the environment. What, what sort of work are you doing? Uh, it's a fascinating team. I feel very lucky to be in it. We have a huge range of very specialist backgrounds. So we have uh, people with psychology backgrounds. Um, we have an, an, an intelligence analyst, uh, people with design thinking specialties innovation enablers, marketing, economics, you name it. So we really bring those specialist skills together and the lines really start to blur, certainly for me, between what's design thinking and what's innovation and what's behavioural insights in pulling all of those together to look at problems within the department that we might be able to have a unique way of um, solving. Okay, so in terms of that, and and perhaps if you might explain to us, where was the drive to implement this sort of area within the Department of Environment? What was the problem that they were having that they needed you to solve? Absolutely. Look, I think people are really busy in their day-to-day lives. And I think often when we go and work with uh, the line areas within the department, they might have an issue and they know the solution. They know why it's a problem, but they're really busy and they have their business as usual. And sometimes they might not feel like they have permission to change things and mix things up. So I very much see that as our role. Often we go in, they're the greatest um, source of expertise in terms of what is the problem? Why aren't people responding to this survey? Why aren't people complying with this regulation? Uh, often it's about giving it, um, giving them to permission. We say, we're the innovation team. We're going to do it until someone tells us we can't. <laughs> yeah, right. And so you, you, what? how many opportunities and what, was some, what have been some of the early opportunities and interventions that you've been able to make that have started to, to draw some results? Absolutely. Look, we've started small. Um, for example, one of the uh, recent projects that's actually still running at the moment, we're hoping to get results in the next few days, uh, is a project with Kakadu National Parks Managers in the Parks Division. Uh They sent out a survey to all of their participants, that all their visitors that have visited the park, asking, you know, what we can do to improve the park, how they've rated our services. Um, Their response rates that they were getting to that survey were quite low. So we had a look at it. We had a look at the email from a design thinking perspective, from a psychology perspective. It was quite a... um, 
generic sort of email that was signed asking for feedback and to fill in a survey and signed from park management. So what we really did is look at that, look at the psychological underpinnings of what motivates people. People are highly motivated by individual personal connections that they've made. So we ended up redesigning, suggesting that email was redesigned and addressed from an individual park ranger. Uh And rather than saying, you know, we say, I, I work in the park and I work really hard to make things better. Can you tell me what I can do? And we're betting there, because the results haven't come in, that that personal connection, the park rangers, um, people might have met them when they were in Kakadu and they're an amazing group of people. They are very focused on visitor um, visitor satisfaction and making the experience that people get in the parks the best it can be so I'm betting that the personal connections people made while they were visiting the park will really motivate them to then respond to this survey a park ranger asking them how he or she can make their park better okay so there's a couple of things in that also I suppose what about the park rangers themselves in terms of the you know, the anecdotal information that they're gathering just when they're obviously working with or guiding people around the park. Is there a way that you're capturing that sort of information or asking them for for that information? I wish we were. And there is a lot of anecdotal information. And part of the journey for our team is to really reinforce the importance of data. We seem to be um, going out of on and on about it a lot everywhere we go is how important that anecdotal personal information can be. Uh, So Certainly the data analytics capacity that we have within our team will utilise to do things like look at the responses from those surveys and segment them based on different market segments. Are there certain um, market segments there that are getting more out of the park and others? How can we tailor the experiences to make it more relevant to the individual? And so in terms of this particular survey, did you find that it's important that you you narrow the focus of it? And is it a, is it a short survey or long survey how onerous is it? Is there an incentive for people to actually fill out the survey? Yeah, that's right. Look, there isn't a, we didn't really want to get into the incentives. We yeah. thought it might actually they be. They do work. <laughs> yeah. We do it here all the time, yeah, you know, but yep. if you fill this out, we'll give you a $300 or $400, like a, yeah, you know, yep. iPad or something. And yeah, that's it right. It really helps. We did discuss that actually. And yeah. we wanted um, whether given our budget, the <laughs> extrinsic motivator of a fairly small reward might be less than the intrinsic motivator Ah, that people might get where they feel like they have done something to contribute to the park and pay back that nice ranger who dealt with them at the park. Uh So it was something we looked at and uh, we'll see. We might have to come back to that depending on the results. so was it contained? Are you sort of thinking to yourself, well, look, if we ask four questions or five questions, we've got a much better chance than if we're asking sort of 30 questions. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, we actually, the original email had two separate surveys that it was asking people to fill in. And so we've recommended that one or the other might be really good. And I assume, well, I'm hoping the results are to show that the response rate actually increases by making that simpler by more than 100%. So you actually end up with more responses, despite the fact that only 50% of the um, emails will ask for a response to one survey and the other half will ask for a response to the other survey. So we, I think we might get just as much data, but 
by making it simple for people. Sure. So this scientific method um, that that you're using is it a is, is it a modelled approach that you apply generally across tasks that that you're doing? Like, is there a step through process that you follow? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, we've tried to use this in a range of things. We recently um, had a hackathon at the Department of Environment and Energy. Um, we called it Hack the Planet, and uh, we used our behavioural and uh, marketing skills to really create a lot of hype around that which got really good participation across the department Uh, we had a lot of hype um, about what was in a mystery box that would be handed out to all participants on the day so without needing to spend any resources on any sort of official marketing we created a bit of a hype got a lot of um, uh, increased participation on the day and then we gave people a bit of a tool pack to work through that was in the box uh, that was developed by our design thinking experts and this walks them through a design thinking framework step by step lots of different tools to put them to just give a different um a different way of looking at the problem so really that was sort of a combined effort between looking at behavioral insights um, processes and what biases people might have and how could you use those biases to your advantage or you know and um Yeah, linking that up with the design thinking and innovation frameworks. So we often use that process now that we've developed ourselves uh, for a lot of different processes. Even recently, our own section planning day, we grabbed out the hacker box and uh, worked through it. So it's been a very useful uh, framework to use. Okay, so that's something that you have assembled, you know, using your experience that, you know, that contains those various elements. Yes, that's right, because we do have those unique backgrounds in the team and that's really modelled on design thinking principles and a design thinking framework, but we've been able to bring more elements of the behavioural science insights and um, the innovation enabling, I guess you would call it, um, into that. So just in terms of, you know, just for people who may not be quite as familiar about design thinking, what what is design thinking? Oh, (laughs) um, design thinking, it's a really good question because it's not my area. (laughs) (laughs) But it certainly gives you a a different perspective of walking through. It's a lot focused on human-centred design. And, I mean, you can simplify it down to really putting yourself, getting yourself out of your own shoes and putting yourself in the shoes of of your user and doing customer surveys, seeing what they want. And we do this um, quite a lot. Uh, We've had some recent projects in website analytics. Uh, We've been looking at our department's websites. We're such a huge department. We have such a range of uh, a huge remit for what we work on. We have regulation and compliance. Uh, We have conservation work, um, policy. So we have quite a broad remit and our website is rather huge and Mm. a little bit um, probably not as concise as that could be. (laughs) So we've been looking recently to do some website analytics and looking at different pages and looking at the data behind them and finding what, what were people searching for when they landed on this page and how can we improve that and get them to the answer that they wanted as quickly as possible? So, for example, we were looking, we have a wildlife trade um, page, which is largely to do with importing exotic animals into Australia. And when we looked at their um, website and looked at the analytics behind that, we found that actually almost all the people visiting that page were people migrating to Australia that wanted to know if they could 
bring their pets, which is not actually part of our responsibility. (laughs) So a lot of uh, the work that we do is actually convincing people that less time spent on our website is a real win. If people can get in um, and get the information they need, for example, that's not us, that's Department of Ag that you need to go to, here's a link, that's a real win for us. And it's very different from the commercial world where you absolutely want to increase engagement with the website. Whereas- it's, I think you've probably touched on a nerve for the audience, this, this sense of these big, centralised, cumbersome, historically laden um, portals that are, you know, carrying vast amounts of information, probably with little to no content strategy sitting behind them, little to no governance um, around the management of of the content. And I know, you know, in speaking to a lot of people, you know, like you sit down and take a very deep breath and think like, where do we start in terms of, you know, transitioning from a, we're just going to publish, we're just going to throw stuff up, you know, another PDF, put it up, put it up, put it up, my job's done, to that audience-centred, I'm walking in my shoes, uh, in the shoes of the audience, how are they going to experience? How are we going to design an experience for them? Um, not that you're going to be able to solve the problem, but what insights might you be able to to give people to to help them on that journey of you know taking them from that sort of overwhelming uh, you know where do I start to transitioning to this way of thinking of you know standing in the shoes of of the audience that you're seeking to reach, influence, and engage. It's a great question and it's certainly not something I think that we're going to be able to do (laughs) overnight because it uh, is quite a large uh, body of work. But I really think we've done this quite often. We sit down and when we're working with a line area and they've got a certain responsibility and we have used that opportunity to have a bit of a look at their web pages at the same time. And, you know, we've done things like, right, I'm a farmer and I want to cut down a tree and I have no idea, which is actually the case for myself personally. I have no idea who, 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 that sits with what I should do, what permits, and actually step through the process. And it's quite, it can be quite unwieldy getting to that information. Often uh, people don't understand whether it's a federal, state or local government responsibility. Often, sometimes we don't understand whether what that rests with. So I think part of it will be working together a little bit more, linking to the different web pages, being, um, being making that clear rather than just presenting all the information that is in our remit, we should use the Google Analytics that will tell us why people are searching and where they came from in Google to get to our page. What was their keyword search to get to our page? And even if that's they're coming to our page and it's not where they need to be, we should you know take on that responsibility and direct them to where they need to be. But that's a that's a really interesting point, isn't it? You know, and obviously this this is a global. Um uh, podcast, so we we broadcast all around the world. But I know that in other parts of the world, there's obviously subnational government and national government. And what you're referring to there in Australia is the is is the system that we have here, and we have a third layer of municipal government. So how then do you join up? Say that farmer who wants to think about cutting down the tree, thinking about municipal requirement, state requirement federal requirement, how do we stand in the shoes of the farmer with the axe to understand how to 
deliver that great experience. Have you taken that on yet? (laughs) We spend a lot of time discussing that over coffee. I don't know that we've taken it on exactly. (laughs) But, yes. It's It's hard, isn't it? It is hard. And we've envisaged how amazing it would be if we had one portal that would direct you to the local level of government that you need. And that's probably not likely to happen anytime soon. But I think in the meantime, it's just building those links and having that user-centred design, using the analytics behind and being not being afraid to say that's a great question that's brought you here for example the pets page it's not us here's where you need to go and here's yeah. a link so but and what about getting access to skills such as as the analytics they don't from what i can gather there's really not a you know we do have a digital skills deficit so people who can actually do that work it's not as if they're you know there's not thousands of them walking down the street today so would you agree that there, there's a bit of an, a problem there when you think okay it sounds easy get go to your analytics and have a look but you know i don't have a phd and you know a few undergraduate degrees like you do and and other people who work for you who are actually trained in this area so How do people manage if they don't quite have those skills? It's a huge barrier and I think you're right, it's it's very sexy these days to have that data analytics capability, uh, which means that we're competing for staff probably not only nationally but on the international stage and it's going to be a it's quite a barrier I think for the APS going forward it's probably the workforce mobility is higher than it's ever been before and and we're increasingly competing for staff on a global scale so we're really going to need to think about um, what we can bring to the table which with sexy areas like data analytics probably won't be the huge wages that you could get in the commercial world so what can the APS offer as compensation And I think we shouldn't forget that we live in Australia and most of the world seems to really like Australia and the idea (laughs) of living here. So it is a really um, positive draw card that um, perhaps we don't make the most of. And the work's fascinating. It is, absolutely, yes. Being able to, it's almost scary when you delve into just how much Google knows about you. When if you visited our website, I can find out what you typed into Google. I can link, follow you through the different pages that you've been to. So I can actually follow you as a farmer, as a hypothetical farmer on the website, bouncing around to different pages and see that you actually had seven stops before you finally found the right information. So. Yeah. Now, this podcast is obviously very much focused on this notion of creation, curation and distribution, and a very fundamental part of it is really understanding the audience um, and using these behavioural insights uh, and analytics to be able to better inform you know, the types of content, the topics of content, uh, yeah, the channels that, that perhaps you might be able to use. How are you working with your comms areas and policy areas and and regulatory areas to help them to become better communicators through the application of your your skill and the te- the, the skill of your team. Great question. Yes, as um, one of the recent um, solutions that came out of our Hack the Planet was the idea of having social media ambassadors distributed across the department. And this was a real recognition that increasingly people are not engaging with the department through the large website that we have and more and more so through our social media channels. So the idea that we're piloting at the moment and 
we'll just actually do a trial looking at the social media analytics to see whether this uh, does increase engagement, is to provide, rather than having everything centralised in our comms team, is having the comms team sort of having an overarching view and having content experts deliver some sort of um, on the lookout for great social media stories within their line areas. So a distributed model. That's right. And being able to feed that up to the comms team. The comms, right. Our comms team are amazing. Uh, they're very, very skilled at what they do, but obviously they can't have a tentacle in every single line area. So what we're trying to develop with this pilot is giving our staff not exactly the skills to write the social media posts, but the skills to recognise when they see a really great story that has a really strong content behind it that might be really engaging to our social media um, followers. And how are you how are you doing that? How, uh, how are you teaching people to know what a story looks like? We've actually pulled together people that have shown an interest in this ah, yes. as part of the pilot and we're actually piloting this by giving literally half of the, that group some social media training okay. and the other half will go on to just be asked to find some you know, to let us know if they see anything in this that could be relevant for social media. So actually Pilot will run uh, this and have those two different people putting information up to comms. Uh, then we'll get some qualitative information from comms about how many of those actually ended ah, up on our Facebook okay, site. Okay, that's interesting. So and you're even running an experiment around yes, intervention with education, those And does without. it make any difference? <laughs> yeah, can we just ask people, tell yeah. us, you know, is that enough or do the, does this uh, education actually make a difference? Ah. And so how much actually that goes to the comms team gets put up and the social media engagement and reach behind what gets put up and whether that's different for the ah, two groups. Okay. So it'll be really that, fascinating. That's a really interesting experiment. Yeah. How long do you need to to run that to be able to get enough data to be able to say, okay, we're going to get, we've got the evidence now to be able to make a call um, one way or the other? This is a question that we come up against all the time because yeah. probably to run it and get really statistically robust, yeah. we're probably talking a few years. I mean, right. we obviously, because okay. there's not that many posts going up and to have a really robust sample size that you could publish in an academic journal and yeah, say right. beyond okay. a doubt. Yeah. And so we'll probably run this um, until the results fall out that we can say, actually, it looks pretty clear that um, this doesn't make a huge amount of difference or there's actually a good indication that this is making the difference. Uh-huh. Let's continue the pilot and make sure that's a, that's now, a really solid uh, result. And what about the different areas of the department now? You know, there are the people who are looking after sort of the, you know, the fuel area and there are the people who are looking after Antarctica. And so, you know, they're obviously going to have a bit of an exam- uh, advantage over the, the fuel people. So yes, that's right. ha- how do you balance that? Ah, uh, Yes, we've, we've thought of that. We're actually trialling it only in one division. So <laughs> they'll the all Antarctic have, division, no, is it? No, no, the um, Environmental Standards Division that's very sort of compliance and regulatory okay. focused. Right. They're probably not one of the sexiest uh, divisions within the team, yeah. within the department in terms of social media engagement and reach. So yeah. it's going to be a hard task for them. They've okay. got to make... Um, but they, yeah, but but it's true, isn't it? Because the most active areas within the Department of Environment are those, you know, those beautifully visual areas, like right. the national parks, like the Antarctic, threatened like, you species, know, threatened yeah, species. That's it's, right. um, yeah. But it's interesting. We, we we did the podcast the other week with the threatened species commissioner, and he's like a one man, you know, threshing machine. He's amazing, know? isn't he? <laughs> he's really taken the the um, and, and I think he's seeing the results. 
and he's really taking that personal engagement. You know, anyone who sort of responds to him, he is telling his story and telling it um, enthusiastically and, uh, you know, He's so present with with his Im- information. Absolutely. Are you finding within government that it's hard sometimes in that risk-averse environment for people to say, yeah, look, this all sounds pretty good, but, you know, I don't really want to em- – I mean, you know, what if that embarrasses the minister or what if, you know, the, you know, the deputy secretary of the department or the secretary of the department or the mm-hmm. first assistant secretary? Are you finding that there is a – a challenge around that to get people engaged? Yeah, so I think I think it is changing though. Certainly yeah. we have trailblazers yes. like the Threatened Species Commissioner who's sort of come <laughs> out, you know, all guns firing <laughs> yeah. and showed us all that this is okay and yeah. this is certainly, this is the future, this is yeah. the way we need to engage with the younger generations. Yeah. So certainly having trailblazers like that gives, yeah. gives the rest of us a bit of permission. Now will you back-end your capability onto his publishing to perhaps give him some guidance around these are the areas that are working with with your particular audience or these are the times of the day or will you be able to assist him with that particular work or is he just going to do it himself? Yeah, <laughs> he's, uh, he's a pretty uh, pretty amazing guy. I'm sure he's got that capability <laughs> well within his team, uh, but it's certainly something we are looking into at some stage sure. as to working with him and just having a look do at that more broadly, that's right, at what is really engaging with our audience. Okay. So from a, a content um, you know, communications area, the people who have got that responsibility for the for the creation and the curation and distribution of useful, relevant, consistent content. How best can they engage with a team like yours? Well, what are the sorts of advice and guidance and information do they have to have to help you get a better outcome? Yes. Yeah, so one of the things we really want to do as a team is always run trials. Um, right. We're often um, asked to provide a bit of information or a bit of a behavioural lens on things, which is fine. But what we're really looking for is designing and implementing and analysing a trial. And we can be pretty flexible in that, but we obviously need a measurable outcome as part of that. So, and so people coming to us and wanting some advice and some information, that's what we're really looking for, a measurable outcome that we can help them design an intervention and actually measure the result. So designing a, um, a, an intervention perhaps around a content, that might be a particular content program on a particular channel for a specific period of time. And, but where do you get a baseline then if you, if you are designing that implementation that perhaps you haven't had that audience engaged yeah, uh, absolutely. previously? Uh, yes, we have the capacity within our team to do A-B split testing on our websites. So okay. that's what we really push. And often that's a little bit hard uh, for some of our um, line areas to grasp. They sort of want to say to us, well, if you've got these great suggestions, everyone should see it. <laughs> Let's just roll it out. But I keep reminding them that they might be rubbish suggestions. Right. Uh, let's let's actually test this. I might be telling you a load of rubbish, and you'd never know if we don't <laughs> test this and get the results um, by doing A/B split testing, so that every second person that logs logs onto that website sees slightly different content, and we can test their engagement. Um, How important is that? That it's obviously critical. In, from from the scientific point of view, you really do need to have 
that control group to test against, don't you? Absolutely. And I think this idea that we should be everything we should be doing is evidence-based uh, is becoming more and more accepted. Uh, it's still, as I say, a little bit challenging for some people to think, well, if we've got one that's better than the other one, we should just roll that out. But it's really important to test whether one option is better than the other. And I often, you know, if um, some of our line areas that we work with are really convinced that they just want to roll it out, I like, explain to them that this is going to give you a great business case. You're going to be able to show um, that there's more engagement with one point piece over another. It's going yeah. to be really easy to put that up the line to say we've done a trial, we've analysed the results and we know definitively that this one is better. Okay. But if, if I was, you know, and probably speaking on behalf of the very impatient people who sort of work in the world, you know, of... If you saw something that was working and it's obvious, can't we just get rid of the test and go? <laughs> or with, uh, Trish, please, let yeah. me. Or are you saying no? This is, this is the conversation we're having all the time. <laughs> uh, look, and like often um, Google Analytics can do pretty amazing things with A-B testing of websites. Yeah. So and when you've got, a, for example, two different content pieces and you put them up as part of an A-B test yeah. and one of them's doing much better on some metric than the other, Google will actually recognise that and they'll say, oh, I'm getting pretty sure, the analytics behind Google will say, I'm getting pretty sure that this one's better than the other. So I'm going to show 70% of people the better one and I've still got the control group, okay. but over time I'm swaying those different, um, those different ratios so that more and more people are seeing the better content, right. but you're still collecting the data. The data. That you need to yeah. make the judgments. Yeah, that's right. It's really the it is the base. It's the future, isn't it? It's really the basis of all decision making around you know interventions, as you say, around programs, regulations, assembling that evidence base, but grounding it in a scientific method through which you can then tell stories, create great content. But really, you got to have that evidence before you move forward. That's right. Yeah. Mm. And so the future, where how then? You know, three or four years down the track, take me on that, you know, the time machine. Um, what's it going to look like? How, how are the content people going to be working with your people into the future? Are you going to be working side by side? Is this requirement going to be so pervasive that, you know, people with science-based uh, um, backgrounds are going to be embedded in most every sort of communications area? Uh, are in fact people going to be braced um, because my theory is is that you know communications capability is going to be spread to the edges you know it's going to be it's not going to become so I think there'll be always a role for a central strategic area but that capability is going to have to be much closer to the edges to respond to meet the needs of citizens that's a theory that I've run on this program many times but what would your view be about where you know where we're going to end up sort of a few years down the track I see a increasing alignment between the content um, managers yep. and the data analytics that yep. they're going to need. I think we'll see increasing um, the need to analyse who is engaging with the content, what they were hoping to get out of it, what different segments those are, and a greater segmentation to make the, our websites and our content more accessible um, to people and more relevant to what they needed. Okay. Uh, we've certainly seen this in the commercial world where um, 
often when you log on to a commercial website, they'll go and collect other data. Uh, where are you? Um, what's the, sometimes what's the weather in your area? Um, perhaps what you've been looking at recently and merge that together to show you quite an individual website so that if yeah. you and I logged on to the same website, we'd get quite different information on that homepage. What about this view that you know, distributed content, you know, content published directly to the, the social platforms, the giant social platforms, you know, your Instagrams, your Facebooks. And do people really want to have to go to, say, the Federal Department of Environment's website or do they really just want to um, consume that content natively in that particular space? What's your view there? And given that obviously there's some challenges there in terms of then getting the data back for you to be able to make the sorts of judgments that you're looking for. Yeah, that's right. Look, I think it's probably increasingly going to be a bit of a divergence there where people want to engage with the department and the amazing work we do increasingly through social media, yes. increasingly on their mobile. But I think there's always going to be that real need for, for example, our farmer who wants to know yes. the specific regulations around yep. him that's never going to be able to get that information from yep. social media engagement. Yep. Because so, it is that role of this, this is the central point of truth or the single point of that's truth. Right. That this is where you come together. Exactly. So there's a really, there's always going to be the need for that real information base online. Yep. But I hope that we can increasingly engage, particularly with younger generations, through social media and make them a bit aware of the amazing work that the department does. Excellent. Well, Trish, I've just looked at the time and we have gone over. Sorry, audience. Too interesting. Too many insights. And it really is the future. And I think there's so much in this. I'd actually go back and re-listen to this a couple of times because I think Trish has really given us some breadcrumbs there as to the future of what our roles will be and how important it is that we become skilled um, in uh, data analytics, A-B testing, these are going to be absolutely garden variety skills that com communications people are going to have to take on board as they go out into the world to work for, you know, government agencies, departments, not-for-profits, you know, civil society organisations. So that, you know, we, we've traditionally comms people have run a mile from mathematics, but I'm, I think that sort of, that race is over and we have to sort of turn around and come back and face the music. Um, so yeah, I, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's fascinating. And, um, yeah, coming together, I think with the scientific people could be great fun and really rather than relying on the old tummy compass, you know, we can rely on the, uh, on the evidence. So Trish, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank it, you for having me. Yeah. Really, really enjoyed the conversation and, uh, to you audience, thanks very much for coming back again this week. We'll be back at the same time next week with another very interesting guest, hopefully just as interesting as Trish. I'm sure they will be. Uh, but for the moment, thanks very much for joining us once again on In Transition. If you are interested uh, in having a look at our research project that we're doing with the Australian National University, jump online to www.contentgroup.com.au and click on research. Uh, we're doing a, a research project with the ANU, and I think um, if you're interested in this program, you'll certainly be interested in that research, so make sure you do that. But for the moment, uh, have a great week, and I'll see you at the same time next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.